This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Jason Lance? First, I'll look at the background in this case, and I'll move to my analysis. This case takes place in Denali, which is a mountain in Alaska. It's the highest mountain in North America. For many years, it was called Mount McKinley. The mountain, which is 20,310 feet above sea level, is a popular destination for mountaineers. In 2021, over a thousand climbers attempted to reach the summit. To climb Denali, a person must make their way to Alaska. They have to fly into the area near the mountain, then make their way to the base camp of the mountain, which is at 7,200 feet. The trip from base camp to the summit and back typically takes somewhere between 17 and 21 days. The conditions on the mountain are brutal. There is snow and freezing rain. It is not unusual for the winds to be in excess of 70 miles an hour, and the temperature routinely drops to 30 below zero. In addition, if a person wants to climb the mountain, they have to pull 100 pounds of gear on a sled as they go, at least for 50 to 75% of the trip. About half of the climbers who attempt to reach the summit each year bail out before making it. Now moving to the background of the players involved in this case. Grant Wilson and Sarah Maynard attended high school together in Fairbanks, Alaska. They were both very physically active. They liked to climb mountains, and they were involved in cross-country skiing. Sarah moved to Montana and worked as a ski instructor, but she kept in touch with Grant, who stayed in Alaska and worked as a commercial fisherman. In 2020, Grant and Sarah decided that they were going to climb Denali. They made their way to the base camp in May of 2021. Their plan was to climb to the summit using what is referred to as the West Buttress Route. This is considered the safest route for reaching the summit and is the most popular. On this route, climbers ascend 13,000 feet as they move 15 miles over the terrain. Not long into their journey, Grant and Sarah met a 31-year-old Canadian named Adam Roski. He was a VP of finance for a technology company in Vancouver. He had experience climbing mountains and engaging in other physically demanding outdoor activities. He had already climbed Mount Rainier, which has an elevation over 14,000 feet. Denali seemed like the next logical choice. Adam was also with a climbing partner. All four climbers reached a place called 14 Camp, which has an elevation of 14,200 feet. Everything above this point is referred to as the Upper Mountain, which is a much more dangerous area as far as the weather conditions. At this point, Adam's partner decided it was time to head back down the mountain. This is not an entirely unexpected outcome. If a climber is going to give up, this particular camp is often where that decision is made. I imagine a lot of people take a look at the upper mountain and all of a sudden wonder if they left something plugged in in their house, like perhaps their coffee maker. It's one of those, I just remembered something important and I have to go moments. I think what they're remembering is they would prefer to remain alive. Adam managed to find another partner, a 47-year-old radiologist named Jason Lance. 
The two did not know each other. Therefore, they were unaware of each other's strengths and weaknesses. There is another camp at 17,200 feet called High Camp. This sets the stage for the mountaineers to make an important choice. They can store their gear at 14 Camp and try to reach the summit directly from there, or they can make their way to High Camp and rest, giving their bodies a chance to acclimate to the altitude. After adjusting, they can then try to reach the summit from High Camp. Setting up at High Camp means the mountaineers will have to carry their gear another 3,000 feet higher. The park rangers consider it reckless for inexperienced mountaineers to push directly to the summit from 14 Camp. Yet some inexperienced climbers still attempt to do this. All four climbers in this story, Grant, Sarah, Adam, and Jason, decided to climb directly to the summit from 14 Camp. Jason and Adam left after midnight on May 24, 2021. Grant and Sarah were about two hours behind them. All four climbers found themselves at high camp together. By this point, Adam was not in good shape. He was dehydrated and exhausted. In addition, his intestines were making frequent visits to the complaint department, so to speak. All four climbers pressed on after resting for a short time. Not long after passing 18,200 feet, Jason suggested that Sarah and Adam give up and head back down the mountain. He and Grant could become a team and continue for the summit. Grant and Sarah were offended because Jason was not from Alaska, but he thought he knew the mountain better than they did. They rejected this idea. As the four continued up the mountain, Adam was not keeping a normal pace. Grant and Sarah stayed with him out of concern. Jason ended up far ahead of the group. At 19,200 feet, Grant and Sarah decided that it was time to give up. Adam was not doing well, and their speed was decreasing. On the way down the mountain, Adam would have to stop frequently because of stomach pain. Jason caught up with the other three climbers after turning back himself. He didn't make it to the summit either. The four climbers reached an area of the mountain referred to as the Autobahn. This is an icy slope that descends about 1,000 feet. The steepness of the slope is tricky in that it doesn't really look too dangerous, but if somebody slips and falls, there's nothing to stop them from going all the way down. The area earned its name because German climbers had fallen down and died on it a few years earlier. The idea is that the Autobahn has no speed limit. Experienced climbers will use ropes to make their descent on the Autobahn, but the ropes take time to set up, and it makes the trip slower. None of these four climbers chose to use the ropes. As they were getting ready to make the descent, Adam fell down the slope. Jason saw him a thousand feet below and used Adam's satellite text messaging device to request a rescue. The Park Service dispatched a helicopter. The rescue was exceedingly dangerous. The characteristics of the area where Adam was meant that the helicopter could not land. It had to hover with only the front section of the helicopter skids touching the ground. Adam was transported off the mountain. He had a number of broken bones and other injuries, but he survived. As this was going on, Jason, Grant, and Sarah were still standing on the mountain. Jason wanted to be rescued, whereas Grant and Sarah wanted to descend. Jason used the satellite device to request a rescue. He initially texted that there were no injuries but they did not have proper equipment to descend after Adam fell. 
The Park Service responded by saying they would not send a helicopter to get them. Their only option was to descend. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? Or just a horrible accident? That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave four-year vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Jason then changed his story somewhat, now writing that he had patients in shock with early hypothermia. In reality, Grant and Sarah were not suffering from hypothermia and they were not in shock. They never said anything like that to Jason. Grant and Sarah would later say that they spent three hours trying to convince Jason to descend with them. He only did so when they started to descend themselves. As it turns out, the Park Service did send a helicopter after the hypothermia message, but they did not inform Jason. I guess they wanted it to be a surprise rescue. The climbers started descending, believing that there was no rescue. They reached high camp after 10 p.m., where they encountered guides who offered them assistance. Jason started telling stories about how Grant and Sarah had needed to be rescued, which of course was not true. When they made it to 14 camp, the Park Service had a few questions for them. They were curious as to why Jason called for a rescue when Grant and Sarah were fine. Jason said that he did not need to be lectured on hypothermia. He could recognize the signs of hypothermia before Grant and Sarah could. The Park Service requested that Jason turn over Adam's satellite communication device, but Jason refused after being asked twice. He only turned it over several minutes after being asked for a third time. Jason allegedly delayed so he could delete some of the messages from the device. One deleted message featured Jason requesting a rescue from a different agency for different reasons than he supplied to the National Park Service. In November of 2021, Jason was charged with interfering with a rescue operation, violating a lawful order, and making a false report. These are all misdemeanors. He was offered a plea bargain. He pleaded guilty to violating a lawful order 
and the other two charges were dropped. This charge was for not handing over the satellite communication device promptly. Jason was banned from Denali for five years and ordered to pay $10,000. Despite pleading guilty, Jason continued to deny any wrongdoing. He claimed that he only pushed ahead on the ascent to flag down another team for help. He had no intention of reaching the top of the mountain himself. After Adam fell, he was emotionally traumatized along with Grant and Sarah. Jason compared his feelings to what he experienced during his time in Afghanistan when he was in the military. He claimed that his concerns about hypothermia were not fabricated, and he didn't hand over the satellite communication device quickly because he needed it for the rest of the descent, and he didn't think it was an official request. Now moving to my analysis. Was Jason Lance actually guilty of the offenses he was charged with, or was the government overzealous in prosecuting someone who just experienced a traumatic event? Let's take a look at the evidence both for and against the idea that Jason was guilty, starting with the inculpatory evidence. Jason was incorrect about the hypothermia and the shock. There was no medical emergency. Jason transmitted messages from the satellite communication device. Those messages were deleted by someone. Maybe the abominable snowman did it, but of course this is ridiculous. His fingers are way too large for those little keys. It is reasonable to believe that Jason deleted the messages. The Park Service employee was a law enforcement officer and told Jason that if he deleted messages, he could face legal consequences. This really undermines the claim that Jason did not realize it was an official request. In addition, the satellite device actually belonged to Adam. It was not Jason's property. Now moving to the exculpatory evidence. Jason may have deleted the messages due to embarrassment, not to avoid prosecution or to interfere with a rescue operation. Jason rendered the wrong opinion about hypothermia and shock, but he was qualified to render an opinion on those topics. Having the wrong opinion isn't necessarily a crime. As far as interfering with a rescue, Adam was already rescued by the time the Park Service asked for the satellite device from Jason. Jason witnessed Adam fall off of a mountain right before he allegedly committed these crimes. This would qualify as a traumatic experience, which could have distorted his judgment. When weighing the evidence, do I think that Jason was guilty? I think he was guilty of violating a lawful order, but not guilty of the other offenses. The Park Service employee had the authority to request Adam's property. Jason had just been through a traumatic experience and was almost certainly fearful for his life at some point, but that is not a valid excuse for deleting the messages. Moving to the next section, what do I think happened in this case? This is just a theory, my opinion. I think that all four of these climbers were overconfident and not experienced enough to climb Denali. None of them actually made it to the summit. Adam appeared to be the least prepared for the trip. He was responsible for putting himself in a bad situation. When climbing a mountain, each person has to be responsible for themselves. If something goes wrong and someone else can be of assistance, that's a bonus. It's not something that people should count on. The Park Service even says that rescue is not guaranteed. All four mountaineers were irresponsible and took unnecessary risks, like not using a rope to descend the Autobahn. Jason appears to have believed he was entitled to be rescued. He mentioned to Grant and Sarah that he had paid the fee required to climb the mountain. 
I think that people forget that the rescuers put themselves in a lot of danger. Therefore, if a mountaineer is irresponsible, they are not just risking their own life. Those who come out to get them could be killed as well. An individual has the right to believe that their own life is expendable, but it is narcissistic to assume that the rescuers are more than happy to die to save people who put themselves in a bad situation. A mountain like Denali can uncover a lot of courage and determination, but it can also expose recklessness, unpreparedness, overconfidence, and poor critical thinking skills. One could argue that the mountain amplifies the destructive characteristics of narcissistic traits. It exacts a heavy toll for every self-centered or arrogant behavior. I think the mountain is particularly dangerous for people with narcissistic traits because it cannot be manipulated. The mountain does not have empathy, it is immune to deception, and it has no mercy. A mountaineer with narcissistic traits is accustomed to getting their way from people, but when they attempt to manipulate the mountain, they run into a rock. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. Allegedly is back for season two, a new crime every time. In each episode of Allegedly, you'll hear a crime told to you by the person who experienced it intermingled with actor portrayals, original music, immersive soundscapes, to create a cinematic experience for your ear. Season 2's stories include a young woman finding salvation in God, only to realize the leader of her church was running a sex cult. A case of a con artist swindling a kindly older man until he couldn't do anything to stop her. A landlord exploiting a mentally disabled man and keeping him a virtual prisoner an act of bullying spinning a promising young man's life into total chaos, and a luxury boat captain inexplicably detained in a foreign prison with seemingly no hope of ever getting out. New episodes release every other week. Look for Allegedly from Voyage Media anywhere you listen to podcasts.